Welcome to a podcast brought to you by the Society for Academic Emergency Medicine's Simulation Academy. Welcome everyone to the Faculty Development Podcast for the Simulation Academy for the Society for Academic Emergency Medicine. My name is Ryan McKenna and I'll be interviewing a couple of our leaders in simulation today. So without too much introduction, let's go ahead and get started. Can each one of you go ahead and introduce yourself and what your current position is? Hi, I'm Haru Okuda. I am the Executive Director for University of South Florida Health Center for Advanced Medical Learning and Simulation. I'm Ernie Wong. I'm the Chief of Emergency Medicine at North Shore University Health System and the Assistant Dean for Medical Education. I'm Teresa Wu, and I'm the Director of the Simulation Curriculum and the Simulation Educators Program at the University of Arizona College of Medicine, Phoenix, and also the Director of Point of Care Ultrasound for Banner University Medical Center, Phoenix. And my name is Ryan McKenna, and I'm the uh, Director of Simulation at University of South Florida Emergency Medicine Residency. So I kind of wanted to kind of see how you guys got involved in simulation, how you got started, what were your roots in medical education, and I can start. So, you know, when I trained, I trained in the C1, do one, teach one era. And I think the, the point that I got involved in simulation really was grounded in my experience as an intern where I it was in July. And that was my first month as an intern and I was putting in my first central line and I'd never actually used the equipment. I'd seen it several times and the attending told me to put in the supply in with the, which the approach I had not ever actually done. It was a little bit of a struggle. I got it in, went to do the chest x-ray, and uh, the patient started complaining of chest pain, and of course, there was a pneumothorax, and so I felt really badly. And you know, then he said, well, now you can put your first chest tube in. So I did that, but it was not a very satisfying experience, and it, that really struck home, and uh, I kind of took it upon myself that if I ever had the chance to make a difference and improve it, medical education for my uh, future colleagues, that I would so I echo Ernie's background. It's, it's kind of interesting. We were, we we're chatting earlier about our, our war stories with central lines and mine was a guide wire. But I think the other difference for me was I did a lot of musical training growing up and I played the violin for many years and I learned how to play an instrument through deliberate practice. And when I went to medical school and, and learned about the C1, do one, teach, teach one method, I was really frustrated and it was not safe, obviously, for the patients, but it wasn't safe for the learner as well. So like Ernie, I said, you know, I want to figure out a way to change how we train our initially our, our doctors. Eventually, now I'm training all providers in a safe learning environment through simulation. I love hearing the stories from our friends and colleagues for what inspired them to have the passion for simulation that we all share. My story was when I was nine years old, my father passed away from cancer and it was a misdiagnosis for quite some time. And so my sister and my brother and I all vowed to make a difference in this world and provide a way so that we can inspire others and teach them so that others don't have to suffer the way that our family did because of medical malpractice. So with simulation, we have the opportunity to train our learners and future leaders and healthcare providers on how to do things well and not harm patients when they're making their first mistakes. Wow, those are some pretty powerful experiences. What is the first thing that you would tell someone who's new in simulation about why they would go into this as a career or why they would choose to make simulation their educational niche? Well, personally, I think it's fun. Uh, you know, it really is a lot of fun. And I know I look back to the days that we started simulation work, 
it was kind of like the wild west and you know we haru and i both had tremendous peer mentors in saem actually you know bill bond and steve mclaughlin jim gordon uh, john bosnellick really was they were the leaders of simulation thought at the time but honestly it's a lot of fun and you can find something that you are passionate about and teach it to residents students uh, other healthcare providers it's that's that's my take on it I agree. I got into simulation also. You know, a lot of the, the fun aspects of it and sim, sim wars emerge from having fun and how do we build an educational experience that's also entertaining. And, uh, you know, obviously we started that back, I think it was in 2007 or so. And now I think it's over three or four continents. I was a gamer growing up and I said, you know, isn't it cool to be able to bring in some of your passion from your outside life and, and build in things that are enjoyable? So, yeah, I agree with you. I think there's a lot of opportunity also for growth in the science of uh, training and education. And so somebody new coming in at this point, I think there's we, we've scratched the surface in training and education and how it leads to improved outcomes or behaviors. And I think there's so much more that could be done. And I look forward to, to seeing a lot of the young folks uh, stepping up to the plate and getting us to that next place. Yeah, you and Andy really revolutionized simulation, I think, with SimWars. And I remember being the, being there at the first one. And the gamification of it uh, really lent to the enthusiasm and the learning aspect that I think no other med- educational modality at the time had, right? Absolutely. I agree with Haru and Ernie wholeheartedly. We have so much pressure now um, with time. It's our most valuable commodity. So when our learners are so engaged and excited to learn with simulation, it makes it a very easy sell, right? They come in after hours, they'll come in on weekends, they want to sim all the time. And the outcomes are awesome. We're seeing you know, great outcomes, they're excited. We don't have to force them into learning because they actually want to learn with simulation. You know, Simwars was my first experience jumping into the, the academic emergency medicine, the medical education community. And it was an opportunity for me not only to learn how to do simulation in a fun environment and enjoy myself, but I have got a lot of mentorship out of it. Are there any other opportunities in simulation that you would advise junior faculty to take off to take a look at? So I think the mentorship aspect of what we do is so important. I am where I am because of people like Ernie and Haru and Andy and everyone who was willing to give time and effort to not only mentor but coach, right? And to help us find those opportunities and then make those opportunities for us. So I think getting involved in national organizations, joining simulation sections and committees, even getting online and finding those who share your same passion really will allow you to network. And then know that us as sim leaders are reaching out to connect those who share our passions that we can continue to grow. I think another uh, organization, Society for Simulation Healthcare, I'll disclose I'm, I'm one of the board of directors, but it, it is a the largest, I think, healthcare simulation society in the world. It has over 4,000 members, and there are a lot of opportunities for both learning at their national meetings online, but also uh, publications and uh, other scholarships. So it's another organization that you could get involved in. Yeah, I'll echo that. You know, when you go to IMSH, you interact with simulationists from all disciplines. It's a multidisciplinary meeting, but the common thread is that everybody has the common goal of improving patient care through simulation, and it's just a wonderful experience. Who do you think the biggest position or role that you had that advanced your career the most with? What would be like an example of a 
role or a job that you had that was what really jump-started your career in STEM? So I was blessed with being at the right place at the right time. I had a great peer mentor in John Bazinelik who worked with me in my group at the time and brought the mannequins and the technology to our hospital, built the lab. For me, that was the start. And then I've had you know plenty of opportunities to write in working groups through SAM with you. It's been a privilege. And you know, for me, the other opportunity that came about in about 2009 was ASEP wanted to create a simulation educational curriculum. And so they asked me to create the simulation procedure course for the scientific assembly. And that then led to the opportunity to create a simulation standalone training course that took a couple iterations to develop. We started the first simulation course in the state of Illinois back in, I want to say, 2009. And then around 2013, I was just showing her some photos. We had the first course at my center, and then we had the next one at Camels, and then we had at your center at Banner, and kind of went from there. And it's just been, that's just been the greatest ride, I think, in my professional career. I think... For me, it definitely has to be um, in my last position as national medical director for the Department of Veteran Affairs. Back in 2011, there was an opportunity that arose to help oversee simulation training for the entire Veterans Health Administration. And it was uh, an honor and a privilege, obviously, to be able to help our veterans through simulation-based education. What's interesting is I think as you get into simulation, you'll start looking at different avenues that you, and directions you can go. You can focus just on emergency medicine, which I think is a wonderful area. That's how I started, whether it's residents, medical students, or departments in. But as an early adopter, I think, of simulation and emergency medicine, I think the initial specialty group, anesthesiologists, really started simulation uh, in the 80s with David Gaba and all those folks. But I think emergency medicine was probably the second one to pick it up. We have such a great skill set where in general, we are across all health disciplines. We, we interact with different professions. And so emergency physicians are the perfect type of people to take on broader roles across a hospital or hospital system to establish simulation programs, centers, curricula, including the different disciplines, but also nurses, techs, pre-hospital and so I had that opportunity with the, the VA, and we, our focus was um, on the workforce and building team training, skill set training for nurses, physicians across the entire VA system. So that was very, it was one of the best experiences I've had in my career. Hopefully I have others, but it's, it's just been, um, it was a wonderful time to build a 50,000 square foot simulation center and implement a national curriculum. I think simulation has been such an important part of my life, even from college. One of my chemistry projects was studying the electrons that would be used in the future for VR and AR and simulation. So even at that young age, I was excited to learn about simulation and the modality of training with it. And then I was very fortunate to have attended Stanford for residency and did a mini academic simulation fellowship with David Gaba and Phil Harder, Rebecca Smith-Coggins, and Sarah Williams, amongst others. And that really ignited my passion for simulation and education. So in an attempt to pay it forward throughout the next decade and a half of my life, I started simulation-based training programs for medical students and for GME at the various sites that I've worked. 
And right now, I'm just thrilled to have the opportunity to be at the University of Arizona College of Medicine, Phoenix, where we have developed not only simulation and small group electives for our students, but simulation curricula where I manage a multidisciplinary team of simulation educators. So we have cardiothoracic surgeons and cardiologists and family medicine physicians and internal medicine physicians who all come together to teach with simulation and learn about the theory and the execution and to band together to collaborate for research and for publications to help support simulation across multiple specialties in this world. We also do quite a bit with running fellowships for different GME programs in simulation. So say we have an internal medicine resident who really just wants that to be their thing. We can help develop a simulation fellowship for them because we have faculty now who are leading the charge in simulation in Phoenix. And then, you know, thankfully, we've had lots of friends and colleagues here who have helped to advance the careers of those who share their passions. And Ernie has been kind enough to pass the torch to me to be the director of the simulation subcommittee for ASAP. And that's been such a wonderful, fun experience, bringing together folks like Ryan and everyone else we met with this week to see that we can all work together for something better. I would say if you're a resident and you want to get involved with medical education using simulation, just just get in and do it. Dive right in. You have a lot to offer to medical students. You have a lot to offer to other groups like internal medicine, family medicine. You, know, you are the resuscitation experts. You can teach them a ton. There are also fellowships now, many simulation fellowships with great educators all over this country. So that's another way to improve your skills and take a deeper dive into adult learning theory, into debriefing, into all the disciplines that are involved with being a simulationist. I hear there's a lot of roles and responsibilities and hats that you guys are wearing from talking, and I'm, I'm continually blown away by how much you guys are able to do in a short amount of time. How do you on a day-to-day basis, maintain your engagement and the educational aspect of simulation? How do you reconnect to your roots of education and teaching? That's a tough question. I do love training and and teaching, and that was my initial passion. I think now in this role at USF Health, I'm really in an executive role overseeing a business, right? So HR and finance. And so on on a day-to-day, I'm in a suit, I'm in my office, I'm meeting in committees and emails, I do still try to stay connected with both clinical and training. So I work shifts at Tampa General Hospital, and I also teach where I can. So I try to help teach with the emergency medicine residency program, doing some simulation, teach ATLS and other training programs. So I think as your plate gets more full, I still want to hold on to everything. You know, there's only a certain number of hours in the day. So you just do the best you can. Yeah. I'd say you can't do everything, but your career evolves in front of you. And so you, your roles change as you go. And so, you know, I spend, you know, quarter time in the emergency department, 40% in the Dean's office, and then the rest of the time trying to run, you know, a, a large group. But I've trained a whole bunch of simulation fellows who are better than me. And that's the trick. You find great people that do things better than you and you let them go. And so my role in the sim lab now is mostly you know, philanthropic, operational, supportive. And I'll say that the only reason I'm in the dean's office is simulation. That really was a door opener. And that's great advice for folks who are interested in career advice and mentoring. I think as you become more talented and reliable, you're going to get so many offers to do amazing things. 
you have to be true to yourself as well and make sure you make time to do the things that refuel you, energize you, that you're passionate about. And sometimes we dedicate our lives and our time to things that make the most impact and that have the most influence, which is great to help pay it forward. But unless we're also full and feel great about ourselves, we can't really give to those who need us. So make time to do the things you love. Don't forget the things that you're passionate about. Is there a particular simulation or type of learner that you guys just have to be a part of every time it's at your center? Is there something you guys got to get downstairs for? I like the students. I think the students are really they're the most tabula rasa learner. You can really make a difference in their lives. Just show them a few things and really impact them. You know, they're open to everything. And I think that's the beauty of it. They're, they're just like sponges. So that's my favorite group to interact with. I think for me, it's I always go back to Sim Wars. And I no longer am active. I've handed over the torch. Andy and I and have handed over the torch to, to folks that are doing an amazing job like Skuggleberg and, and, and Chris and but I do try to make it to some wars events to watch the great work going on with all the acting and the cases and the, the residents that are coming through. So maybe at my, not my local level, but when I attend ASAP, SAEM, I like to be in the audience and watch what's going on there. I think all levels of learners are really fun to train. The medical students are so enthusiastic. They're eager to learn. I think training residents and fellows is exciting because there's always something you can contribute to their education with simulation. And then even training faculty and providers who have been out in practice for anywhere between one year and 30 years, right? We're all lifelong learners. And so it's neat to be able to inspire those who are you know, in our field together to continue to have that thirst for education and to get them to improve and be enthusiastic about getting better. So I like all types of learners. Maybe we should just continue training everyone forever with simulation. Mm -hmm. What sort of advice do you guys have for junior faculty who'd be going up for promotion in the next couple of years? I think one of the challenges to simulation is that a lot of the promotion committees aren't, they're not really aware of what simulation is. And so I think one is having, understanding who's on the promotion committee. If you want to talk about real nitty-gritty, understanding who's on the promotions committee, making sure they're educated on what simulation is about. And then as they understand the, the, the importance of simulation and that, it, and that is to make sure that when you build your case, whether it's on your CV or other activities, that you really document what you're doing. And part of that would be taking a part of national events like SimWars. I think I've done so many letters of recommendations for assistant professors or associate professors to get to the professor level because of SimWars. And I think that's really helped because it's a national program, it's national writing cases and doing as much as you can at that level. I, I think there's great opportunity to capture what you're doing. I think we often don't do a good job of actually putting it into writing, but just being creative with it. Everything you're doing, you can document. It's probably an educational program or an assessment tool or something. And then you just you know present it a poster or meeting or, or, or just make sure it gets out there. I 100% agree. I think for new junior faculty or even some seasoned faculty who are trying to get promoted, I think the best advice I ever received was, you know, we're emergency docs. We love everything. Right? We're excited about everything. We have to pick specific areas of focus. And for those of you who know me, I couldn't choose between point-of-care ultrasound and sim, so I kind of try to dabble in both. 
But for those of you who are really looking for something that you can own, find a part of simulation that you really enjoy. Focus on it. Be deliberate about it. Be intentional about it. And put in the hard work and the effort it takes to be known as a leader in that part of simulation. I think future generations have a hard time understanding that you can't fast forward through the hard work. That you have to put in those 10,000 hours. You need to work smart, but you still need to work hard. So try to do it right. Find mentorship. Focus on an area that excites you, that you can make a name for yourself, and be that simulation expert. I would also recommend volunteering. Put your hand up if you're at Simulation Academy for SAEM or I know Teresa was asking for more people to join the, the subcommittee for simulation as ASAP at the International Meeting on Simulation Healthcare. If people, if you're in a, a committee or a interest group and somebody asks for a treasurer or somebody, just put your hand up. Even if you don't have experience, offer, volunteer. That's how I got my start. And then you'll develop mentors that will help, you know, making, making sure you're on some of the the workshops and other activities that can, again, be documented for a promotion. Last question. What do you guys think the next 10 years of healthcare simulation looks like? It was interesting. We were, it's been a lot of conversation around virtual reality, augmented reality, spatial computing. And I think if we ignore that technology, we will turn into the PowerPoint of uh, education. I, I think VR, AR is not going to replace physical hands-on training with simulators or task trainers. But I think in the next five years, they are going to revolutionize a little bit of what we do, at least around probably the knowledge component, some of the critical thinking, maybe even some of the skills and uh, and teamwork. And so if we work with uh, the technology and be a part of it, then I think it's going to be great. If we don't really uh, think about how it could be best applied, then corporations or industry will put it on us. So I think it's going to be really important for us to partner and make sure that those modalities and, and tools are going to be utilized in the best way possible. I think the other part that simulation is going to really expand on is in the area of assessment. As we become more specialized in what we do, you know, or, you know, we do really great things like difficult airways. Um, we're really good at airways, so we don't come into difficult situations as much as we used to, we'll really need to start looking to use simulation to assess and make sure we're able to do this well. And, you know, competencies and hospital-based privileges, I think, will be linked to simulation tools and technology. So I think there's a lot of fun things up ahead, but I think those are a couple of areas that I would be looking at. I 100% agree with Haru. I think the sky is the limit with simulation. And because we are such creative individuals, we can utilize it and apply it as tools and adjuncts to what we're doing and make it even better. I love VR and AR. I love the idea that it allows people to see things with a different spatial dimension and to move things around so they get a better understanding of what they're doing. I personally use simulation in other ways as well in management. So when I hire our simulation educators and instructors, they interview with me. They show me that they can talk the talk. They have the right words. And then I simulate what there's going to be like on the job. I want to see, can they walk their talk? Can they apply all the words they just told me with those correct answers? And it's amazing to see, right? Like people are really good at saying things, but watching them in action and simulating the on-the-job teaching, feedback, debriefing is, I think, so important. So as we continue to evolve in education and simulation, we'll find even more creative solutions to make everything around us better. 
Wow. Well, this has been really informative and super helpful, and I really appreciate Dr. Wu, Dr. Wong, and Dr. Akuda for taking the time to help our junior faculty grow their careers in simulation. This is uh, Ryan McKenna wrapping up for the Simulation Academy Faculty Development Podcast, and I appreciate y'all listening.